Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 142, I Never Wanted to Feel Like This. This week we're discussing the broader themes and character development of series 9 of Doctor Who, as well as season 2, episode 19 of Angel, Belonging. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. So, Doctor Who, Series yeah. 9. The, the last series that we have available as of... As I know. Uh, never, never thought we'd be <laughs> here. I shouldn't say never, but it seemed so far away. It did. Yeah, it's when, been a while. When... Uh, well, I was going to say when we first started the podcast, when we first started the podcast, was season nine even like being made? Yet? I don't think so. <laughs> like, like, I don't. It seems so far, like it literally. I don't even know in, if season eight was being made yet. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I can't remember. Like it. That so like so two whole ago, seasons so. of Doctor Who have been made in the time that we've been, have made and aired in the time that right. we've been doing this. Just kind right. of crazy. I feel like our timing yeah. couldn't have been better. Like, we managed to catch up to it just as the show was preparing for a, a little hiatus. And, you know. Sure. Uh, so the show is taking a break just at the time when we kind of need it to, which is nice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but before we move on, we do want to at least give proper, uh, proper due. Now, we were talking a little bit before we started that there's actually some pieces this might be a little bit shorter than some of our other recaps because uh you know things like awards and that kind of thing haven't happened yet we don't even have um like dvd commentary and stuff right. that we can sort of rely on to uh help us through this so th we're kind of blazing our own yeah. trail yeah it's uh, kind of hard you know, to, with some of this it's kind of hard to feel really retrospective and nostalgic and or like even right. objectively critical about something that finished like being seen like 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 ago, less yeah. than like three months ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know that said, we'll do our best yeah. and try to come up with at least some. You know, I, I won't say they'll be really deep and meaningful, but we hope that they're you know passable things to say about yeah. the season. Um, so. Uh, all that said, I guess let's just jump into um, some of our favorite episodes, and it's my turn uh, this this time to pick. Uh, and <laughs> given that you know, as we were going through, like uh, even at the beginning of the season, you kind of talked about how uh, hard it was to sort of um, follow because you know there are so many multi-parters mm -hmm. um, in this in this uh, season. You know, we have a bunch of two-parters and then sort of the the last three episodes not counting the christmas one um the last three actual you know season episodes are sort of one story that goes right into yeah. the other um so yeah which just makes it hard because like what are your favorite episodes well it's more what is your favorite storyline right. and we've done that with other seasons too like it's not the first time we yeah, had to do that. Yeah, picks two partners uh, and stuff. But. The, the storyline that I went with uh, was the uh, uh, the girl who died and the woman who lived. Um, 
And so this is this is about mid season, I guess. Well, I guess what were they like episodes five and six or something? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like right. So like the last. So not quite. Yeah, yeah, the last bit of the not, first half, I guess. Yeah, uh, you know, to where we've gotten a little bit of, uh, you know, sort of how the season is is playing out. But uh, I don't know. I mean, first of all, okay, so. Maisie Williams, of course, helps make these episodes really good. Um, she does. But I also, I think even beyond that, um, looking back on it from where we end up uh, with the season, there's sort of an additional meaning. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that Maisie Williams also shows up mm-hmm. at the end is interesting, of course. But there's also um, sort of a renewed uh, way of looking at just even from the episode titles, the girl who died and the woman who lived like that has a very different meaning when you realize that that's kind of Clara at the end too. Yeah. That the girl who died, you know, well, we know Clara dies. Like she gets, and I don't want to get into, you know, too much of the final episodes. Cause I do want to talk about the storylines themselves too, but just sort of looking at Clara as the one who dies, but then also as the one who lives, yeah. you know, she like, like the doctor and uh and actually along with Maisie Williams ends up sort of cheating that death mm-hmm. and you know extending her life and in, in, in a way so um like I think that's interesting looking back on it and I don't I mean I don't feel like this season has been as strongly um arced mm-hmm. as other seasons have been and you know like just thinking about um you know when Moffat took mm-hmm. over uh you know that there was very much you know sort of one of the things that he brought to the table was this ability to kind of arc out the season yeah. in in a you know more strong uh more strong like what you you know what I, what am i trying more, to say like maybe more just, a little more satisfying or like yeah just yeah. well just in a way that davies yeah. never did yeah. like you know davies davies wasn't about like the seasonal arc he was more about the individual stories and and i do i mean maybe maybe that's ironic to say in a season that's made up of two parters mm-hmm. but i feel like those two parters are generally more standalone story wise yeah. than than you know than working together as like a season long yeah. arc uh in this in this season yeah in a way it kind um, of it's like when you have short mini arcs it detracts from like a sense of like a longer overarching yeah you know story a little bit yeah well and i don't i mean i don't i would hesitate to use the word detracts even because i don't feel like like i don't necessarily think that's a bad thing mm-hmm. like i i feel like we become spoiled in some ways and perhaps some of it's Josh Whedon's fault for you know his penchants for you know uh having sort of those seasonal arcs that um i think were less uh less the norm when yeah. he was doing buffy and stuff um you know but i feel like you know now we've been spoiled like i feel like that's a theme of a lot of TV shows now do that sort of season long storyline with, you know, having sort of the episode by episode stories as well. Um, and that's fine, but I don't like, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with not having a season long arc sure. either. Um, so I don't, I don't necessarily want to imply that like, I think it's a bad thing. I just, you know, again, I feel like Moffat has been more, uh, 
prone to doing those season long mm-hmm. arcs than than Davies was, but that this season felt a little less so mm-hmm. than than uh you know certainly the seasons with Matt Smith and then even last season with um Capaldi. Yeah. so uh just just my thought but yeah um, no i think that's fair so as far as this storyline goes um with the girl who died and the woman who lived um of course the uh uh the eponymous character being the same person in both mm-hmm. of these um sort of the same person i guess i should say because i want to talk a little bit about identity mm. too and it, and in particular uh the identity of a shoulder slash me mm-hmm. uh you know because i think that well again i mean one it comes up again later in the season but also like i feel like there's a lot to be said there um and again looking back on it from the dot well all right so i i feel like my brain's getting muddled <laughs> with lots of different thoughts so i i i'm gonna try to say this as clearly and succinctly as possible which probably means it won't be clear or succinct at all uh one of, one of the things that I find fascinating about the storyline is, um, like, okay, you get, you know, you get a shoulder and the Vikings and, you know, their warrior race and all this stuff. And, um, like, I'm not as concerned about, like, the storyline of, of that piece of it, but the effect of the doctor uh, giving a shoulder the device that keeps her, you know, alive excuse me, um, and alive indefinitely, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Basically immortal, (laughs) we find out, or at least, you know, uh, as as mortal as possible. (laughs) Like there's, you know, she lives for so long, we don't know if and when she actually does die. Uh, Like we see her at the end of the universe. So can she live beyond the end of the universe? I don't know. But, uh, the effect of that that we find out in The Woman Who Lived is, of course, that she has this exceptionally long life, but she can't remember mm. it all. And so you get the journals, you get, you know, all of the diaries and the doctor has to read through them, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you get that. Uh, I, I forget exactly the way she phrases it, but, you know, that that she's, you know, an immortal person with a mortal mind or something like that, where like she can only actually remember certain mm-hmm. amount of information. And, and so she writes stuff down, but even at that, then she like, there are certain pages she tears out because she doesn't want to remember mm-hmm. them and she doesn't remember them. And apparently that's okay. Like she, because she understands that she tears them out because she didn't want to remember them. She like sort of forgets them and, and that's all right. Um, but what I find interesting is, again, you know, thinking back on it from what we know happens the rest of the season. Um, and obviously, this isn't the first time that, like, we've sort of had memory as a recurring theme in Doctor yeah. Who um, or, you know, either of the shows. Right. Any of the shows. Right. <laughs> uh, 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 looking back on it and realizing that the Doctor has his memory changed. Mm. Almost as though it's a page torn out of, you know, his diary in a way, Uh, uh, puts a puts a different spin on that, I think, because you get um, 
you get this idea of a shielder or me as she's then called uh you know lady me uh, you know you get this idea that yes she lives a long time but really it's she's being changed just as much as the doctor changes in sort of his regeneration only it's like slowly and over mm-hmm. time it's not it, it doesn't sort of happen all at once and then she's sort of quote a new person uh but it's you know it over time she just sort of forgets things and maybe some things linger on more than others but like you know she doesn't even really remember her name that she used to be called yeah. and you know the fact that she had these maybe various families or children and stuff or I guess maybe there's sort of implied that maybe she she might remember a little bit more than she mm-hmm. lets on. But, you know, it does seem to be the, this idea that, like, there are things that happen that she doesn't quite remember. Um, and so, so you do get this idea of, like, her being sort of remade as a new person as you go on and on. Um, it's almost in a doctor-like way, but again, not quite because it's, again slowly over time rather than sure. sort of with these you know eventful yeah, yeah. regenerate you know explosive regenerations right, right. kind of thing yeah this um, is like a glacial version of that yeah yeah um so yeah so just sort of like you you know there's a lot to contrast there with the doctor but then given the way that it all works out with the doctor's loss of memory at the end mm. uh about clara like you realize like, oh, maybe maybe there are more similarities there, um, not just with that event, but then you have to sort of wonder, like, does the doctor actually remember everything? Mm. Like, and is it even really possible? Like, yes, we know the doctor has a great mind and has a great capacity for memory and remembering things. And, you know, certainly he's always sort of pulling out facts and ideas right, and, right. you know, things that he knows, but... But is his mind, you know, infinite? And if not, then what are the things that he's forgotten? But also, what are the things he's chosen to sort of forget sure, about? Sure, um, in, in sort of that same way that Lady Me does. So um, I think, you know, I, I like the episodes as they were. Um, but I think those are the things that I think about looking back on them as... Uh, you know, having sort of experienced the rest of the season rather than sort of the the plots that yeah. are embedded in the episodes. Right. Themselves. You can only kind of see in retrospect how, it, if, if not if not totally in a plot way, at least like the ideas it introduces are feeding into that seasonal arc. It's just not the kind of stuff that you notice until you go back and rewatch and everything. Yeah. And it, and again, like, I don't know how much I would call it an arc as sort of like, you know, variations on a theme sure. or something. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's a, it's a, it's more a motif than an sure, arc. Sure, sure. Because <laughs> I feel like, to your point, that the arc is less, if, less strong, and I don't mean that in like a bad way, but just like less pronounced, I guess. Like, the only real yeah. arc that there is, is that repeated, um, hints about like the hybrid but again that turns out to be totally subverted again because we never actually get a definitive you know uh (laughs) we never see the monster 
of the season or like the, the big bad of the season, or at least maybe we do. And we just didn't realize that we knew, like, I think you could keep arguing about who is the hybrid and never necessarily yeah. reach a, you can pick the one that you like, but like, we never really know for, we never meet a creature called the hybrid and see, Oh, it was that all along right. or whatever. Um, so even that turns out to be like, not that big a deal. Um, it's just the kind of thing that pulls you along towards the end of the story. Um, but when you were talking about like the doctor and what missing memories, it, it was just made me thinking of um, stuff with, you know, Capaldi's doctor, you know, I mean, he's not like geriatric or anything, but like framed as like an older, like an older doctor and like a doctor who is an, a new cycle after, presumably he should have run out of his, you know, regeneration. So if we're thinking of him as like very, a very old doctor, there's even stuff mm. um, like with memory, like way back when, well, I'm thinking like when Matt Smith is like very old on the planet Trenzalore, you know, he kind of has his, you know, memories of like, which kid are you? And, you know, he mixes up all the different people that he's known and everything. But well, like when Capaldi comes in and he's new in his first episode, there's the thing with, um, with the references to the Madame de Pompadour story and how they, it doesn't register anything. Like after like him saying, this is familiar. What am I missing? What am I missing? And then you get to the end and he's like, Nope. (laughs) Like, you know, and again, like that could just be, doctorish like you know you know he, he could be pretending or faking or lying or you know joking or whatever but there is also that suggestion that maybe over time there are memories that do get you know deleted as he says like for you know as we all do you know things you think you won't ever forget end up you know being sort of shunted to the side and everything um Mm. so like yeah i mean this is a dramatic erasing of his memory um with clara but there's also the potential of just in even in his sort of infinite lifespan of memories just being lost you know just naturally i guess um and with the shoulders it's interesting because there's a kind of irony even to the way that forgotten memories are supposed to remind her of something. Like there's that weird line about like, you know, I, I, you know, she tears out the pages, you know, and, and forgets her children so that she will remember not to have more of them. Like, you know, and that makes me think of like the doctor talking about like, how yeah. okay Clara is missing but he can reconstruct her based on the hole that she's left and he's he said right, that about right. I think he used the same line pretty much about um like when he deleted himself from like the world's history like basically you know everybody could see this doctor shaped hole in history and so he basically was never deleted because it's obvious yeah. that he's been removed um you know, so that kind of brings up all sorts of questions about like, you know, 
do memories ever really get lost or what is the if they have a positive effect of their having been removed are they really you know entirely missing like yes maybe the specifics of who clara is aren't there anymore but clearly he's still sort of haunted by this memory of her of you know i can't remember her but i remember that i used to know her and she was important and so it's this weird thing of like kind of moving on but also like not at the same time like you know mm. um like how can you let go of something if you're still bothered by its absence i guess um so sure. i don't know what i mean by any of that but like there's a similar sort of I think because like with a shielder tearing out her journal pages or the doctor's deleted memories, it's like, it's not just that they're naturally forgotten. It's that they've been sort of forcefully removed. There's definitely some sort of similarity there. Um, yeah. And the idea of like removing particularly traumatic memories, you know, to, you know, influence you in some way for the future is sort of interesting. Um, and you brought up, yeah. I think before we started recording, the idea that like that being interesting thing for the doctor, because normally he's the one who knows everything and he's the one in control. And like you said, he's much more, much more comfortable with removing other people's memories that he is <laughs> with his own. Yeah. So that's a, that's an interesting power shift there of, of where we're left right. with him. Right. And I mean, I think we talked about it a little bit in the episode too, but yeah, I, I see that it, it's definitely sort of subversion of the normal doctor role of, um, you know, being the one to sort of take away other people's memories and, or, you know, at least being the one to leave on his own terms. Um, yeah, that's not what happens at all, right? It's, you know, and, and we talked a bit about, like, so with Donna, you know, the doctor sort of took away her memories for her own good kind mm -hmm. of thing. And, and you can argue about whether that's, uh, you know, right or wrong or whatever. Um, or if, you know if he even needed to do that, um, let alone should have. Mm -hmm. uh, but like where, where with the doctor and Clara, it, you know, okay, granted Clara sort of, you know, gets the ball rolling, but once it's rolling, they both sort of make a positive decision mm -hmm. to see where it's going to wind up. Right. So they, they sort of, you know, jump together and yeah. hope one of them lands. Um, you know, so, so there is a sense that like, even in that, like he's still a little bit in control. Um, but you also get the sense that he's kind of thinking that Clara didn't, wasn't really able to like reverse the mm -hmm. polarity or whatever the, whatever the sort of techno babble is right. to, you know, justify the, the technological aspect of what happens. You sort of get the sense that like, he's not, too worried about it that maybe uh you know she's less of a uh 
tinkerer than mm. he is. And so maybe, maybe she wasn't able to actually do what she thinks she right, did. Right. Um, I, you know, that's not stated explicitly, I guess maybe that, and okay. You know, maybe this is an instance of, you know, it says more about the viewer than it does about the thing being viewed, sure. <laughs> um, you know, that I'm even thinking of it that way. But, but I do kind of, I, I get that. I get the sense that there's a very, that that's a sort of very doctorish idea that like, okay, I know how to reverse the polarity, but does Clara really yeah. know how yeah. to do that? Like, is she really good enough to be able to do it? Like, I, let's go ahead and press the button. Cause I kind of know that it's going right, to be her right. and it forgets, not me. Right. Um, Would he really have gone through with it if he, you know, if he felt if he felt sure that he was the one who would lose his memory? Right. Yeah. Or or even had right, a doubt, right. you know, like like a legitimate doubt, not just that, well, I suppose it could yeah, happen, yeah. but, you know, like a, a legitimate if there was a legitimate 50 50 chance, then I feel like he wouldn't have gone mm. through it. Like, I feel like those odds are not in his favor. <laughs> and so he wouldn't have done it. Yeah. You know? Um, you know, I could be wrong though. Um, maybe that's just the cynical side of me. Um, so yeah. So just sort of, um, you know, thinking about that, like it is, it is sort of a whole new world in a way for the doctor to, because I, I do feel like even, even with all the regenerations and even with all the different companions and stuff, one of the things that we sort of assume for the doctor is that he remembers stuff. Maybe he doesn't always learn from it. Maybe from time to time he forgets temporarily, but it, like the memories aren't gone for yeah. good. You know, yeah. I mean, certainly we have like moments of, again, you know, bringing in like Dr. Victorious and all of that. Like there are those moments where it's like, oh, maybe I have to relearn a lesson mm. here and there. But it's not because he forgot the previous lesson. It's just that maybe it was a bit further removed. Mm -hmm. And so it it's not as maybe pressing as he thought or remembers. Um, but it's not that, like, the memories aren't actually there. Yeah. If, someone, if someone says, oh, hey, remember that Donna chick that you hung out with for a while? Like, he would be like, oh, yes, and I remember all the bad things that go along with yeah. that, as well as all the good things. Like, like they're all sort of in there and muddled. Or even, you know, hey, remember Rose? Yes, I, of course I remember. I don't like to think about Rose. I don't like to think about what happened to Rose or the fact that I can never see her again. But I remember her. Right. Like, right. you know, those memories aren't gone. But this is this is a completely different case where it it does show a sort of certain vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And um, I maybe ironically, given that, uh, you know, a shoulder's reason for not remembering is that she has a mortal brain and an immortal body. So maybe there's a bit of irony too to the doctor. The fact that he can lose a memory almost makes him a little more mm. human, you know, in that way. Um, again, granted, it's like you said, it's sort of an artificial loss of memory. It's not, uh, you know, actually like you know, you just get old and forgot something. But but there is that sense that by by being that sort of vulnerability, yeah. you know, uh, allows him to be a bit more human in a way as well, I think. so. Yeah, he can be fundamentally changed. I mean, he changes all the time, but in the sense of like, you're you're morphing into something new, whereas like this is like, like a, a loss, like a genuine 
you know, and not just like the loss of a person, but, you know, because again, he loses other people all the time, but like a, a loss for himself, like he's lost, he, something's been taken away that, you know, you know, it, it by definition, he can't know about it, but like the effects will still be there. Um, you know, sure. maybe subliminally, but you know, it, it can't help but change him, I think. Um, just because, like, by definition. Um, yeah. So, transitioning into, the, I kind of want to cheat a little bit and choose, like, a quarter of the season as my favorite episode. <laughs> so I'm I'm taking... I mean, we're, we, we make yeah. the rules, so... I'm taking... Face the Raven and Heaven Sent and Hellbent all as like a single story um, and putting them together. Um, and I feel like it, uh, there's a nice theme between the episodes we've chosen and that our two arcs are both the ones that feature Maisie Williams. So I feel like she was sure. a success, you know, at least from our point of view in the season. And like, I kind of wanted to start with saying like, the way that they pretty successfully, I think, since a lot of these episodes were written by totally different people, like you've got mm. Moffat in there, but you've also got, um, you know, Jamie Matheson and Catherine Tregenna and Sarah Dollard. Like, so you've got four different writers collaborating over the course of our two picks. And mm. yet with, with, you know, and a shielder, appearing in pretty much all of them um you still have i think like a pretty good sense of how the character is different each time you see her but there's also like some continuity and maybe that just goes down to Maisie williams you know being able to sort of you know have a character that's written by different people and appearing in vastly different time periods and you know at different you know separated by centuries and millennia and of varying degrees of you know youth or you know bitterness or cynicism or whatever and like and yet it still <laughs> sure. feels like it still feels like a pretty smooth arc that we get for this like you know the supporting character in the season i think um you know and we talked about her a lot with the girl who died and the woman who lived and kind of how she feels so, you know, Aria like in the first part, you know, of kind of young and mm. tomboyish and kind of what you expect Maisie Williams if you watch Game of Thrones. And then, you know, and then sure. in, in this part two, how she really is like the woman who lived like, you know, I'm not used to seeing a grown up womanly Maisie Williams, but I think she comes off pretty well. Like she seems like a young woman and someone who could plausibly have lived for a long time and had, you know, children and relationships and all these things. Um, mm. And then, you know, I feel like we didn't talk about it so much in the later parts, but you know, the way, again, she's different in face the Raven, like, you know, she's, much more modern looking and, you know, very kind of in control and not quite as maybe 
she's still kind of dangerous, obviously, but maybe more in control of herself than she was in, you know, in The Woman Who Lived. She seems like very desperate to get out of her situation, whereas in Face the Raven, it's more like, you know, she's in control. She's not begging the doctor to, you know, take mm -hmm. her away anymore. Um, and then again, when she comes back in Hellbent, it's like this weird cosmic loner who's like <laughs> sitting, like sunning herself at the end of the universe and like it, it just again feels like a totally different context for the character so um sure obviously that's not the only reason i like these episodes but i just kind of wanted to talk for a second about how impressed i was by her performance throughout all those episodes um i'm assuming that you felt the same way but i don't know yeah, no, I think, uh, I think definitely, I, I mean, I was surprised to see her again yeah. after, uh, the woman who lived. So, you know, uh, when she came back and faced the Raven, um, definitely, definitely seeing her again, but I, I don't know that I quite thought about it in the same way that you were just describing, but I, I can definitely see and agree with that, that you know there are sort of these different phases or you know uh uh periods that she's sort of playing in each one um and and you know so you get that which is interesting because in a way that is that's almost another inversion of the doctor right because the doctor changes form but he's always the doctor right and you know, sort of his personality might change based on the face that mm. he takes, but, but it's, you know, there's sort of a change in look to go along with mm -hmm. that. Um, whereas with Maisie Williams, it is more of a, and it, it's not a strictly like, like, I guess, I guess in a way it is um, sort of a growing up because you have, like you said, like you have the girl, you know, who's sort of the fighter and the, you know, um, uh you know just kind of wants to keep going at it and then you have the woman who you know like you said is a little bit older and has relationships and stuff and then there's sort of the the uh uh you know like she's the mayor now right, right? and and face the raven so it's you know sort of like the the uh dignified you know adult who you know has taken on responsibility and that kind of thing and then you know, in Hellbent, you almost get, like, the old woman sitting on the porch, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, feel yeah. to it. So there is that sense of sort of, like, it is it is a regular life, but extended. But there's also, um, you know, that idea that she just doesn't change because she doesn't look like mm -hmm. she's changed. Like, she's hurt, you know, unlike the doctor, her look doesn't right. change at all you know, but her personality certainly does. And again, some of that has to do with memory and, you know, the fact that she does forget certain things as they pass by. And, um, you know, like we, like she forgets who Clara mm. is. You're like, oh, you know, I, I know because I've seen pictures of you, but I don't remember mm -hmm. you. I don't remember having met you and, you know, done anything particular with you or whatever. Um, so, yeah. So again, like it, it, that just is maybe another sort of way that it inverts the idea of the doctor and his sort of long life of you know 
his changes sort of are are effects of the regeneration um and but like the underlying who he is doesn't change whereas with her the underlying does sort of change from time to time and you know but it's her look that sort of stays the same yeah throughout. yeah yeah <laughs> no but good. i to answer to actually answer your question though yes i agree that she does a good job of <laughs> all of those sure. aspects and and uh yeah no i think uh i i, I would so i think i mentioned this in hellbent but i you know i was surprised to see her and face the raven and then like i i feel like i should have realized that she would be back again but then like even with the doctor saying like oh the hybrid is me it's like how many times did he say <laughs> right. like the hybrid is me right. and i didn't even the first time watching through i didn't even pick yeah, up on yeah. like oh it's yeah. me like lady me the pun like, yeah a shoulder yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and so I was surprised again when yeah. we saw her there. Um, no, that is which 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 I guess is is you know well done. Yeah, you know? no, and good, again, part of that fake out of the hybrid of there's many different ways to read even that one statement about it. Um, right, right, right. You know, which is great. Um, yeah, and so I mean, I feel like I talked about we talked a lot about the other reasons I like these episodes too, just, you know, how strongly written they are and how well it kind of wraps up. Um, you know, Clara, I mean, if there's an arc going on too, it's also like the end of Clara's story, which is not just over the season, but over multiple seasons, you know, and how it brings together her whole sort of, you know, trajectory you know towards becoming like the doctor and really like you know fulfilling that in you know a very real way and everything um and I like just kind of the I guess boldness of how it sort of just lets her do that like it legitimately lets her you know rise to that level um you know because normally it's like, it's like if the companion gets that much power, they kind of have to be stopped in some ways so that there's not like, you know, if, if, if it's the Dr. Donna, it's like, well, that results in Donna's memory wipe, you know, or, um, you know, or like Rose becoming the bad wolf, you know, she has to, again, have it taken from her because it's, it's too dangerous and everything. Whereas like, I like that the story actually lets Clara become legitimately doctorish. Like, you know, what's more powerful than her having her own TARDIS, you know, and getting to sort of, you know, fly off into her own adventures and everything. Um, mm -hmm. But I also wanted to kind of, I mean, maybe this, we might as well kind of talk about some of those other seasonal themes because they kind of all culminate in these episodes. Um, because one thing sure. I wanted to bring up again was at least in the beginning of the season. And I feel like throughout we had this continuing problem of Clara being, you know, marginalized, I guess is the word I would use, you know, either, you know, made powerless in a position or, you know, kind of put, pushed to the side or even like, 
you know, not appear. Like there were several episodes where she's not even in it. You know, there's, uh, you know, mm. the woman who lived is, you know, a good example. Um, and, you know, heaven sent when she's, when the doctor's alone in his, you know, castle and everything. Um, sure. So. Although in fairness, at that point, we think she's. Yeah, dead. no. And, so. and I'm not <laughs> saying that those, I mean, those are two of the stronger episodes. So I don't even think they're the worst offenders. I think it's worse when she's there and doesn't have much to do, sure. you know, like at least sure. for those, there are good story reasons why she's not. Um, and, and I should just point out the irony of us talking about this even on International Women's yeah. Day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and after having celebrated, like, the strong characterization of Shielder, it's like, now let's get to the main female character and how she's been underserved this season. So, like, I guess my question is, like, looking back, taking all of that, so taking the episodes where she just wasn't, written very well or not involved very much but then also mm. taking the ones where she deliberately was kept out you know maybe for good reasons like like the woman who lived or like heaven sent and then taking this kind of big finish where you know you think she's killed off and then she comes back and not only comes back but like you know takes over her own TARDIS and like you know forges off her own spinoff like in another alternate universe with her own companion and her own television series and everything at least this is what like i imagine um like i guess the question is like what do we make of that is that like just inconsistent writing or is there some sort of you know i mean if i'm being if, i guess i'll say what i think if i <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm interested i to feel you're the I answer really, to this question <laughs> torn about how to feel about it because I feel I feel like that ending is so empowering that I want to give and I I suppose there's no way to, to have this conversation without you know doing crit fic and trying to predict what the writers were thinking so I guess I'll just get that out of the way that that's what I'm doing um or at least Intentions aside, I feel like there's a way to read it in which it, it there's something kind of thematically satisfying in that after a season of being pushed to the side or forgotten or marginalized, she comes back and sort of, you know, takes over her own story in such a strong way, you know, and kind of says like, you're not going to kill me off and you're not going to erase my memory and you're not going to take my identity and my story. I'm in control of those things. And, you know, and she, then she goes off to sort of start her own adventure, I guess. Um, mm. The Hopefully with Jenny. Somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Go start <laughs> the, the justice league, you know, of the universe with the other, you know, characters that are floating around out there. Um, I like that reading. I feel like there's also a legitimate and more kind of cynical reading, which part of me feels like, if I'm being honest, it feels like it's a symptom of her maybe having had such good characterization in the last season and feeling like, where else was there for the character to go? Like, sometimes I look back on 
you know, these last couple episodes. And I feel like up until that last arc, you know, of like face the Raven to the end, what is she just kind of treading water? Are we like, you know, marking the time between like when she had something interesting to do up until her big, like finish, I guess. Um, and I legitimately don't know which of those, maybe in a year or when we come back to this, I'll tell you which one wins, but <laughs> those are my torn yeah. feelings at the moment. Yeah. Um, good question. Really good question. I, a good yeah, question no, I and like a I really don't... confused non-answer. Well, I mean, so I agree with you. Like, you know, it's hard to not do the crit fic thing because I, I suspect that there were points where there were just some writers who just maybe weren't good at writing the character and, or, you know, were so involved in sort of what the doctor was doing mm. that maybe they forgot about Clara or whatever. Um, I feel like, I feel like we're, correct me if I'm wrong, um, but I feel like where we first really started talking about was um, with the story, with like the underwater ghost storyline. I forget what the yeah, episodes yeah. were called. Uh, under the lake and before the flood. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe we sort of noticed it earlier than that, but those. Yeah, I um, mean, there was a bit of it even in Moffat's um, first two-parter, his opening, where I feel like in the second half, she was involved, but it was a lot of, like, I think we used, like, the word, like, powerless at the time. Like, she was there and she was involved, but she had to be, she was sort of just pushed around. It's like, she's pushed around by Missy. Yeah, like, and, and then, like, literally shoved right. into a Dalek and right. ordered which way to right. go. Right, so yeah. that felt kind of from Moffat, I think, a bit surprising that he would sort of let the character go that way. And then I think you're right that it's, it's, it is worse in the underwater ones because it starts to feel like she's not even that present in the episode. Like she, you, you, you kind of wouldn't even really notice if she wasn't like, there's no difference between her and yeah. you know, the other random characters who are only there for the one episode right. like she doesn't really bring any clarinness to um right well in effect so like you get the doctor going back with like two of the other characters and you know they sort of die off or whatever right. and then um you know but there is that like moment where he's like or that scene where he's talking to her you know like through the whatever you know through the monitors or whatever and it's like yeah like you're right there is no difference between her and other characters because he just sort of like orders her around and like says like well what's happening now and what's happening now and show me this and show me that and it's like any joe schmo could do that yeah like you know you you know other than the fact that you know clara supposedly has more knowledge about what's going on or at least more experience with these types of situations. There's nothing that she really does there. So I, you know, as you said, it's hard not to sort of crit fic that. And I feel like it is 
it, there's got to be an element of we're just not thinking about Claire. Not you know I don't think there's anything malicious in it necessarily, but yeah. it's you know it's that it that's what marginalization is, right? That's it's that idea of we're just not taking her view or her you know situation into consideration mm. and um it definitely feels like that for a number of episodes um uh, to mm-hmm. me uh so yeah i don't i mean i i guess i guess the only sort of thing that you can say then is that then with the way that you know with with the way everything ends mm. so maybe maybe I, I don't mean this as a replacement to sort of your view, but maybe in addition to, you know, sort of the way that you were saying you, you would prefer to read it perhaps <laughs> um, is, is that you can read that as a way of contrast. Yeah. So, you know, and you know, it becomes, you know, you know, think of it as maybe like a romantic relationship gone bad, even though they're not romantic or anything, but like, you know, you can think of it as, uh, you know, in a lot of times in, in sort of maybe marriages that go bad or whatever, you you hear about maybe individual parties having sort of just taken advantage of the fact that the other person would always be around. And so there's, you know, not maybe take advantage isn't quite the right way to say that, but like, just take it for mm-hmm. granted that, you know, the other person is always going to be there. And so you you maybe don't put as much effort into thinking about them or seeing them, whatever. And so like, if you want a sort of in text, you know, idea of that, maybe this is like the doctor, not, uh, you know, sort of, sort of taking Clara for granted. Like she, and, and we've talked about how Clara has been, um, the longest companion that mm-hmm. we've seen at this point, you know, barring interstitial, adventures that we yeah, don't yeah, yeah. know about because they happen between episodes or whatever. Um, you know, we've talked about the fact that Clara is sort of the longest companion, at least on mm-hmm. screen that we have seen so far. So, so you almost can look at it in that way of like, maybe it is a relationship gone mm-hmm. stale in, in that way. Not that I think that like, that means either of them care less about each other per se, but that, but that it's, it's that taking for granted that, you know, they're always going to be around, Mm -hmm. you know, the other person's always going to be around. So this is sort of, uh, you know, another inversion of way back with Tennant and Rose of never say never ever. Right. Like, like this is, this is the doctor not heeding his own advice maybe of, uh, you know, he was thinking, Oh yeah, Clara will always be here. And in fact, that turns out not to be the case. And so, um, Maybe, you know, again, to sort of go back to what I was saying originally, maybe it maybe the contrast is the point. Maybe maybe it becomes that by marginalizing her in those earlier stories, then the loss becomes felt that much more because you realize at that point that like, oh, we haven't been making the most of our time Mm. together. And so. Now, granted, the doctor spends, you know, whatever billion years in, you know, the confession dial to sort of think through all yeah. of that and whatnot. Um, but that's that's why, you know, he comes out hell bent, mm-hmm. right? Like on on saving Clara, because he realizes 
like like this is the near death experience, right? The four the four and a half billion year near death <laughs> experience. Uh you know, that that this is the point where he realizes I didn't make the most of my time that I had with her. And so now like I have to save her to right. you know, make sure that that happened. You know, this is uh you know, this is what people who, you know, maybe had cancer and you know, we're, we're able to beat it, you know, they come back and, and generally those people have a new lease mm-hmm. on life, right? Like they, they have a different attitude a lot of times than maybe they did before they go through that experience or, or, you know, I don't want to limit it. I mean, I'm sure other maybe diseases or near death experiences or that kind of thing, um, you know, changes a lot mm-hmm. of people and, and, you know, they start talking about things like, you know, seize the day and, and, you know, live for the now and that kind of thing. And, um, I, I feel like a lot of that might be justification, sure. you know, or rationalization. Um, but I, but, you know, if we're, if we're, if we're going to give it sort of the most, uh, beneficial mm-hmm. reading, that would be sort of the way I would look at it anyway. Um, in, insofar as, again that that idea of contrast and and um you know uh uh taking for granted then sort of is what leads him to that attitude in hellbent along with again the four and a half billion years of confession yeah. bio well and and even just your describing of the near-death experience where you come out with a new lease on life that's certainly clara's experience as well you know like she has a literal near yeah and then lives in an eternal now, you know, of, of, you know, being in the present, like, you know, with no. Right. Between Between two heartbeats. Like for the, you know, as long as, you know, as long as that lasts, as long as she can make that last. Right. Um, Right. So I feel like that works for her too. Um, And, you know, I think if we do take the idea that Critfic is, not the best way to go and that we shouldn't necessarily care too much what the writer's intent was, then I think we are free to read it or, or lack, or lack of, of intent. Then <laughs> I think we are free to read it any way we want. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, there's nothing that says, you know, and I think again, by contrast, if, if you do think of her as somewhat marginalized throughout the season, then it makes her final, empowerment all the more satisfying because she really does sort of not that I don't wish that she was more empowered throughout but I like that she doesn't end that way that she ends up sort of taking control of the story and you know her life again um and I think if there's another silver lining to it um I felt like Clara really her characterization and Jenna Coleman's performance really dominated series eight for me. Um, and I feel like intentionally or not, um, this really gives Peter Capaldi a chance to really shine. Like he gives some really, you know, stellar performances this season, I think, um, you know, and, sure. and, and I think often that happens like in the, the actor's second season, they're more confident in the, in their you know, how they're approaching the role and everything. Um, you know, that's not unusual, I think. Like, if you think back to, like, Tennant and Matt Smith's first season, 
a lot of it is still finding the voice a little bit. And then when they come back, they have it sort of a little bit more figured out. Um, so, you know, I think having episodes like, you know, the woman who lived and the Zygon inversion and, you know, heaven sent that are so Capaldi centric is kind of nice. Um, yeah. So, well, we kind of have a couple more minutes. I guess the last thing I also wanted to bring up too is um, bringing back this idea of, I kind of brought it up in the very beginning of the season with the, the symbolism of the hangman, you know, of Clara hanging from, you know, upside down from the rope and everything. And that kind of bringing in these ideas of acceptance of, you know, fate and destiny in your situation and a kind of, you know, not in a defeated way, but in a sort of peaceful way. And I feel like now at the end of the season, I still feel like that makes a lot of sense for Clara, you know, I mean, she's given this new lease on life, but it, not because she wasn't willing to, you know, it's sort of like in accepting her death with the Raven, she gets this new lease on life kind of, there's a mm. catastrophic quality to it. Um, but I wanted to bring that up too with um, bringing in the the Christmas episode with River um, because I feel like even without referencing Clara, um, the idea that the doctor has to let Clara go um, and kind of decides that maybe we, maybe the two of us are the hybrid and we're a little bit dangerous together and that it might be best for us to, you know, back away from each other and that they even, you know, let fate decide where, which way the memory thing will go, um, is all kind of like, in a way, subtextual, you know, preparation for the river, you know, episode of like, you know, we talked about how he's presumably made and canceled their date to the, you know, Towers of Derillium how many times mm. throughout the times that he's known her, you know. Um, but that the, now something's happened that finally allows him to go through with it. Um, you know, so there's that kind of like theme of, uh, I don't know. I don't know. So acceptance is the only, I'm trying to think of a better word than that, but, um, you know, him finally sort of confronting the reality that this will happen sometime and he has to sort of make some sort of peace with that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have anything bad. Okay. Well, I feel like the fact that we're finishing Doctor Who for a while needs some sort of big grand statement, but I also feel like the nature of the show defies big grand statements, like it never is really finished anyway, so <laughs> maybe it's not a bad thing that, you know, we kind of leave it open-ended. Um, but I've enjoyed talking about it. Hopefully we'll 
get to come back to it, you know, sooner yeah. rather than later. But yeah, we shall see. I don't know. Has the actual air date of season 10 even been communicated? It yet? has. Um, it's, it's next year, 20, 2017. So probably sometime around a year from now, it'll be starting. Um, well, and I guess there'll be a Christmas episode this year. And there right? will be a Christmas episode. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Well, anyway, when that happens, we'll, we'll be back at some point after, <laughs> after at some it. Indefined, <laughs> undefined point after that. Okay. All righty. On to uh, our Angel episode for the week. Yes. So I want to start with uh, the host, who we finally have a name for. Um, and I did not know his name before this. Now I do. Um, it's Lorne, which is kind of <laughs> wonderfully sort of kind of ordinary, but also like a weird name at the same time. Like, there's something sure. kind of like, you know, just blah and mundane about it. But also, it's not like it's a name that you hear all the time. So it's also kind of strange. Sure. Too. And and he brings up Lauren Green. And yeah. of course, there's Lauren Michaels of, you know, SNL. Yeah, yeah. And other, you know, comedy fame. and um, Yeah, kind of yeah. Thing, so. um, yeah, speaking of Kurt Fick, it makes me wonder if whether the Lauren Green was like a joke that they decided to write into the show. Like I could see them like calling, calling right. him Lauren amongst themselves and then saying, well, let's just make that the name, you know, <laughs> it's not like right. we have a better one. Right. Um, yeah. And I, you know, it, I don't actually know, like I, that I could totally see that happening. Um, and yeah, like, you know, so Lauren was introduced as the host um, at the beginning of the season, right? The first episode of the season, in fact, um, season two. And I don't know if at that point, you know, if if they had mapped out like the full season yet or not. And if they would even have known at that point what his name might be. Yeah. Um, That's right. He did just start this season, didn't he? Okay. Yep. Yep. Right at, right at the beginning. Right. He was introduced in the in the first right, episode right so that kind of um, makes sense that this season is sort of his like we're getting finally like his backstory like as kind of the big yeah. point of like the end of the season like at least kick-starting the arc of the last couple episodes that's sort of the thing which is at the center is you know finally learning a bit about you know who he is and where he comes from and everything um, yeah. So yeah, I wanted to yeah. walk through this stuff with him, um, because we do see a lot more about him. So we get these, um, portals that are opening up. Um, and you know, it's kind of hard to talk because I feel like, um, there's definitely still some open ended, you know, questions that we don't really have answers to yet. Like exactly why are the portals opening and what are the mechanics of them and everything? And we get a little bit like, sure. it seems that, you know, the, the book of, you know, 
with the weird language without vowels um, has, has a certain amount of control over it. And that's sort of what, you know, opened it up to suck Fred in and, uh, and what they used to send uh, Landoc back at the end and everything. But, um, but also the Draken just sort of appears in the beginning. You know, it's not like Lorne or anybody reads the book to let him come through. So it seems like that's not right. the only reason that the portals um, can be opened. Um, and also just the mechanics of who can go through and why. Um, you know, we don't, again, we don't know why the Draken came through the portal. Um, Landok kind of suggests that it, he didn't intend it. Like he says, like, he was like, sucked out of his world like almost accidentally or something um and then lauren makes some sort of cryptic reference to the idea that he can't go back through um like he says like his he had a one-way ticket um so that almost sounds is that and there's also kind of the bits about him you know was he running away that's not quite clear you know so yeah why is his ticket one way? Is that intentional or not? Like, um, who is in charge of that? We don't know. Why? Sure. Why is Cordy sucked through with the, the you know, with Landoc at the end? Like, there's all this sort of portal stuff that, like, you know, I don't even know that it's as important as I'm making it out to be, but it doesn't seem like we have it figured out. Like, there isn't a consistent rule yet. Like, I haven't figured out who can go through yeah. and why. Um, no, that's that's interesting. I mean, because obviously I know what happens in the next yeah. episode or, you know, several. Um, so, yeah. the the All right. So just on the one-way ticket thing, I don't think, I don't think that's meant to be, like, that there's some magical or physical reason he can go back. I think it's that he doesn't want ah, to go back. Okay. So like, it's, it's more of a, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going back. Cause like, I want to mm -hmm. be here. I'd like it here. Um, and I think, um, you know, even just thinking about sort of, yeah, we don't, I don't, I'm trying to remember if we get a clear answer to on whether or not Lauren was, uh, intentionally brought here or if it was an accident or not and how that happened. Um, and you're right. We certainly don't have an answer to why the Draken comes through. Like what, you know, no one seems, at least from our side, you know, you have Lauren singing, mm -hmm. right. And he, like the portal just sort of opens behind him. So it's not like, you know, certainly he doesn't seem to be the one to have opened it and, you know, unless it was open from the other side somehow, mm -hmm. you know, there's not really, we don't have an answer to that. We just don't know. Um, so, yeah, no, I I guess you're right. We still have a lot of questions to sort of be answered. Um, and this is, so we're, you know, kind of like the last three episodes of Doctor Who were, you know, one extended yeah. story that bled one into the other. Um this episode and the next three are sort of the same way. Like this is, this is the end of the season 
here. Um, and unfortunately, because we talk about Buffy in between. I know, it's like uh, a month and a half's worth of... (laughs) Yeah, we're going to be like extended, uh, you know, as far as the actual uh, revelation of of what those things are. Um, But yeah, I would say... And maybe it's, maybe those, you know, rules aren't necessarily that, you know, important. Yeah, I don't, like the, the, you know, Cordy and Fred who we get mention yeah. of, um, it seems like for them, you know, there was a portal that opened because they were reading from this mm-hmm. book, apparently. Um, so really the Draken is the only one that we don't really know about. And I don't, there is a sense here too, especially with like Cordy's visions and things that there's like, we get, there's sort of like a secondary, you know, thing going on with like the Hacklar demons and stuff, but you get like, we don't even really find out like mm. what's going on. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like, Oh yeah, there's this other thing. And they kind of like go take care of it. It's just kind of like in the background, yeah. the the visions that Cordy's having, like she's never had a vision in the past before that I can remember. So like the fact that she has this vision of Fred, right? Like five years ago, uh, yeah, yeah, right. However many, you know, however long ago, like she, you, you know, the fact that that happens, like this seems to be something important. And the fact that it happens, like, right after this portal opens up, like there seems to be multiple things going yeah. on here that, that maybe there's some higher power sort of intervention going on yeah. that um, we don't know. So, I, you know, I guess that's all to say that, like, I don't know that we need to dwell too much on why the Draken's portal opens. Yes. Um, but just that like it's opening clearly has set up, you know, like sparked a series of mm-hmm. events that now winds up with Cordy being in a new right. dimension. Right. And, uh, right. You know, and, and, and so what happens there, you know, what, you know, I mean, we don't have to guess about what's going to happen in the next episode or anything, but just like, that's where we're going to pick up clearly. Yeah. Like, you know, this is, this is a pretty clear cliffhanger. Like yeah. we, we know that um, there's sort of interdimensional travel going on and, you know, it's not just a part of this story, but like you said, like it's part of Lauren's backstory. So you get that, like he was dissatisfied and he was not, you know, so of course he of course Lauren is the kind of demon who's going to end up in LA, right? He's from uh you know, a place where he was different than everybody else and where they didn't want him there and he enjoyed music and singing and apparently that doesn't exist in his reality. Yeah. So, you know, um they're all very serious and you know, are champions who go on quests and that kind of thing and that just doesn't seem to be yeah. Uh, who he is but the other thing is um his repeated i i want to point out that he repeatedly denies that he's a coward that this isn't it's not this isn't him running away because he's afraid or because you know he can't stand up and you know learn to read the rage waves of the draken or whatever like it's not that he can't do those things. He's choosing not to. Like, this is an active choice. It's not just like he's too afraid to do it. And so sort of by default, he runs yeah. away to become a lounge singer in L.A. 
um, you know, this is this is him choosing not to live that life. And so I think given how much he sort of uh, uh, dwells on that fact, I, yeah. I want to make sure that we're clear yeah. that this isn't just him, you know, being, uh, you know, afraid or a coward or whatever. He He's very clear, at least. He says he, he is. says right, he's right, right. not, you know, yeah. like, I mean, whether whether we can believe him is a different story, sure. maybe, but you know, at least, at least he's, you know, his claim is not cowardice. It's that he, he doesn't want to do that stuff and he never did. And well, well, Landoc and his other male relatives were off, you know, hunting and questing. He was making with the yeah. lady. Anagogic. Right. Right. <laughs> so yeah, I want to talk about Lauren's backstory. Cause I feel like there's a lot there. Um, I love, yeah, this idea of like, him as the, you know, artistic black sheep in this family of like, you know, right. very, um, it's, he's sort of the musical theater kid who's born into the family of jocks, right? Like, you know, this is someone who right. doesn't, uh, has a really hard time seeing, you know, eye to eye or, you know, and that goes both ways. It sounds like he didn't necessarily fit in with his culture, but they also rejected him for not fitting in. It's, it's, it's a two-way sort of relationship um, or lack of relationship. Um, but yeah, I want to like point out that uh, definitely the bit about him not being a coward, but the way that he, um, his music and like his artistry that he, you know, uh, aligns that with, you know, feeling and, and like, especially empathy Um you know, like, I love that, uh, you know, little speech he gives to Angel about, um, you know, he kind of glories in a world of ambiguities, you know, of, you know, of sure. good and evil isn't, if that's too simplistic, that, you know, he can see so many shades of gray in between, and appreciates that. And, you know, you know, the I love the line about, um, how are you supposed to joust someone when you can partially agree with their point of view you know like it it's not that he's afraid to joust it's that you know he understands he can understand the point of the person opposite him and you know can't bring himself to judge them for that um because like to go up against them or to joust them he has to sort of you'd have to sort of steel yourself against their point of view and, you know, physically judge them for it. Um, you know, and so, yeah, it's an, and kind of applying that to what we know about him as somebody who's taken this sort of innate ability to read emotion, but has put that to like, seems like a positive use, you know, not just, hunt demons by following their, you know, rage, you know, waves or whatever, but like, you know, um, yeah, you know, used that ability, you know, like Landoc makes like a snide comment about, Oh, you know, people can do this who submit to the training. And it's like, well, it's not like he's not trained. It's not like he doesn't know how to read emotion. He just uses it differently. Um, you know, he right. does it every day in his, you know, 
in his bar yeah. and you know he uses it uh at least i mean again there's some ambiguity as to is he always using it to help people find righteous paths or not but again those ambiguities are part of the thing that he really focuses on um he doesn't see a world where it, everything is strictly good or evil, but where yeah. there is some overlap between them. So I feel like that's yeah. kind of appropriate. Sure. Um, and, and also, you know, so you get Landoc, right. His cousin <laughs> coming in and um, sort of speaking like the, on the side of all of the relatives yeah, back home. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, and he he said, you, you know, he says your vanishing was a great mystery to our clan, and it's like, well, you know, clearly, like, <laughs> like clearly, you didn't understand him from the beginning. Yeah. Like, if if you don't understand who he is when he's there, then his not being there is, of course, not understandable too. And then, you know, to top that off, you it it was hoped that you had sought atonement by forfeiting your life in the sacrificial canyons of Trillins, and it's like. Yes, clearly you don't understand him if that's what you thought he was going, going to do. To be. Yeah. Like if you thought he was leaving home to sacrifice his life because he wasn't a great warrior, then then again, clearly you don't understand who Lorne is as a person. Mm-hmm. Um and and it is that, you know, it it's that sort of um uh lack of self-examination uh you know that that Lorne despises, <laughs> right, right. right? It's like it's like you, you you're exhibiting the very reason why he didn't want to be there in the first place is because you you can't see anything except from your own point of view, um, and that's completely opposite of what Lorne and Lorne is can you know like he even says I I saw the view of both jousters yeah. <laughs> like you know like that's why I you know that's why I didn't want to participate I. I understood, you know, it's hard to joust against someone when you understand their point of view. And that's, I mean, thinking about Caritas and, and the fact that, you know, he doesn't allow violence mm-hmm. there and, you know, uh, not, you know, that there's an idea of, you know, that's what he is, that, that he's using. And, and just that sense that too, that, um, like you said, he has the same powers that maybe all of his kin have, but he's using it, you know, in a in a way that is, you know, uh, that evokes empathy and and sort of sets people on their path or whatever. And it's like all of the others, you know, it's not that their powers are different, but their power they use their powers for their own gain, for their you know to hunt and to kill. And it's like, you know, it's that idea of like it's not that the power itself is empathy or whatever it's it's that it can be used for good or evil Mm. purposes just like any other tool or ability can can be used um so yeah yeah his uh you know and i you know i we can keep talking about lauren and stuff too but i do i did want to point out too just how how angel sort of in his you know, when Lauren's sort of, you know, talking about his home world, you know, talk about screwed up values, a world of only good and evil, black and white, no gray, no music, no art, just champions roaming the countryside fighting for justice. You know, can you imagine living in a place like that? And Angel's like, not really. But you get the sense that his not really 
is like hopeful. Yeah. Like like I wish I could imagine a place he, where the look on true. his because face that, is like you just described heaven. Like that would that yeah. would simplify like no yeah. shades of gray, perfect. Everything clearly yeah. laid out for me. All I have to do is track down the evil and kill it and everything will be solved, yeah. you know? <laughs> and 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 the you know, no one ever admits to having actual right. feelings. It has to talk or talk talks about, them, about yeah. that. <laughs> uh, you know, he I yeah. mean that yeah, it sounds yeah. Like Nirvana. No, this is like, it, and, and I like that Angel and Landok kind of get along. Like they, they speak the same language. <laughs> they understand each other. They have yeah. a respect for each other. Like Angel would fit in yeah. with this culture much more easily than Lorna. Well, and, and to Angel's credit, he does at least sort of try to get Wesley's input, you know, before running off after the Draken. But like when Wesley takes too long to make a decision, yeah. he just like jumps out of the car and is like, yeah. all right, that's yeah. it. I'm, I'm going. <laughs> um, so yeah, you totally get the idea that Angel would love, you know, uh, uh, Lauren's home world. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, he's not there. No. <laughs> Court, Cordy is, but he's not. Well, I, whoops. I guess I shouldn't say not, that's yeah. where Cordy is, but, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, anyway. Um, and can I also just say, I love the thought of Lauren going to read Harry Potter to the kids, you know, in his sort of, <laughs> you know, in, in costume, you know, um, right, that, that right. needs to happen. Um, and he would do it too. That's the thing is like, I, you know, that, that it's not just like a witticism it's like oh no he would actually like seem like he would enjoy that and would probably be really good at it so um, right yeah right all right do we well so and you, you kind of i mean i feel like we've talked about it already but um i at least want to mention the idea that you uh pointed out that all of the you know character storylines have to do with um this idea of belonging or not belonging. So, um, you know, I feel like we've kind of finished uh, Lauren, but just showing how that, you know, goes on that theme that, you know, it's all about sure. his, you know, showing us his, his culture in which he has fled for, you know, a place where he didn't belong to a place where he's found a place for himself where he can feel, you know, useful and at home and fulfilled and all those things. Um, and yeah. I don't know that I have anything else really to say about uh, like Landoc or, you know, the portals or anything. Um, so I guess moving on to Cordy, um, besides the kind of belonging thing which is definitely part of her story I think there's also kind of an interesting connection with Lauren of like being somebody who feels they want to work you know in the arts you know <laughs> and like you know from, from yeah. Lauren being sort of the only one from his culture who really appreciated that and having to sort of go to a place where he could find that life and you know be fulfilled in that way. It's interesting then to have Cordy who t 
talks about wanting to be an actress. Um, and she talks about wanting to be not just like, yes, she gets, um, you know, kind of obsessed with like the celebrity aspect of it all, but, you know, also legitimately would like to work as an actress. And she says like, I really just want them to think I'm good, you know? So there's a part mm -hmm. of her that really craves for that talent as well. It's not just about, you know, the fame and fortune of it all that she wants the respect of, you know, the, the, the industry and everything. Um, so then to kind of have this plot where, okay, she gets a job that's a good job, you know, a, a national commercial. So this is like a legit thing. You know, millions of people will see this. This would probably pay her rent for a long time. You know, this is a good gig to get. Um, and mm. she should be, that should be like a step up. Like she should be moving into a place where she's filled with, you know, surrounded by other artists, you know, other people who are interested in, you know, acting and, you know, movies and stuff like that. And then to find that it's like, at least in this experience, you know, a shallow experience, you know, like the only person we really get another sense of is the director, you know, who's the most mm -hmm. kind of, um, you know, rude and just, you know, totally like, I know it's a commercial, but, you know, a totally mercantile thing of let's get this done quick and, you know, and we'll, objectify you as much as possible because that's what you know we need for the advertising and you know and it's just a completely you know disappointing experience for Cordy um she's kind of treated like a prop yeah. to be sort of you know not like an actress or an artist at all but you know you know like this piece of meat to just sort of be moved around in front of the camera so that they can get the product that they want and everything. Um, mm -hmm. So it's a kind of interesting contrast to Lauren who does find a way to like make a niche for himself where he can be the fulfilled artist that he wants to be. And where Cordy, you feel like she should be getting that, or at least she thinks she will. And then finds that it's not at all what she expected it to be at least in this instance sure um sure yeah well and so a couple of things too because on the one hand i wonder i wonder how much of it just shows even cordy's growth because i wonder if she had had this opportunity you know two years ago or a year and a half ago or whatever when she first came to la you know, would would she have felt the same mm. way? Like, right? Would she have been like, this offended by the director and his? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, maybe she would have because I don't. You know, I'm mean, Cordy's never sort of been one to roll over, but she might have at least been more willing to put up mm -hmm. with it. Um, and and even to a certain extent, she is here as well because you get like, you know, she gets mad at Angel, and then you know she's sort of trying to do what she thinks needs to be done but she's just sort of unwilling to go that last step that the director wants her to go and and so she does sort of realize that okay this isn't what i wanted you know that um 
that maybe yeah like she's she's better than what she's being asked mm-hmm. to do and all of that um but yeah you do you do sort of wonder like if if there's maybe part of her that you know had this happen when she first came to LA that maybe maybe she would have just seen it as a stepping stone you know this is what i have to do to get to where i want to mm-hmm. go it's not it's not that i want to be doing this but you know it's sort of the menial part you know that i need to play in order to get the better parts that will come later right. um right well and, and i think I'm, and not and not, and not saying that that's the case just that she might have thought that and that right. a lot of young women and young men i'm sure too you know who are in that situation probably i mean you hear horror stories from time to time of the things that yeah people go through and have to put up with you know in order to get quote their dream Mm -hmm. job and it's um you know pretty nutty um although i do have as an aside i do have to sort of laugh at um you know uh david boreanaz going on about uh you know the horrible people in hollywood and like you know the 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 uh you know egotistic directors and that kind of thing like i mean there's there's there is sort of a metatextual yeah. aspect, I'm sure, you know, underlying a lot of that as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that goes along with this continuing theme of L.A. and what a hell it is, you know, sure. and like, you know, all kind of knowing winks at each other of like, oh, yeah, we've all had experiences like this. And like, and there's even the joke about like the power walkers and like what kind of weirdos they are. Like, right. there's all these jabs about <laughs> L.A. culture um you know yeah yeah they get they get mad at at uh at them for killing right it's like disrespecting the culture of the demon yeah yeah (laughs) um so yeah i feel like it's a in the larger sense it's the critique about la but then what that real like a lot of that if you're gonna do that you also have to critique the hollywood culture as well um and the kind of superficiality of a lot of it um yeah yeah so i think i think the other aspect of it though too is that um you get the sense that like even in the beginning of the episode cordy you know sort of makes a reference to the fact that she feels bad about leaving them to go do this commercial while they're in the middle of Mm -hmm. a case so there's also that sense of of you know, even before she goes on set, that maybe, maybe it's, you know, maybe where she belongs is, is with the team and that her going off and doing her own thing maybe isn't right. And she ignores that obviously because she goes, and I, you know, I don't mean ignore it like she's derelict of duty or anything, but you know, the others sort of encourage her and know that acting is what she wants to do. So they, you know, like nobody's blaming her for going and doing that it's it's just that there is a sense that she seems to have of you know by leaving them that maybe she's she's not doing what she's sort of quote unquote supposed to be doing yeah Um, yeah i was gonna say that earlier too that like in terms of like how would she have reacted if she'd gotten this offer before i think just in general her standards have risen. Like, I think we've seen that 
when she was talking to Harmony, like the way she had to downplay, like how much she enjoyed the work that she was doing and how much it meant to her because she's kind of embarrassed to hear herself admit that she felt really strongly about it. And, you know, she had to pretend like, Oh, you know, I've had too much to drink and I'm just being silly or whatever. Um, And like here you feel like if she had gotten this job, even if she had uh, been offended or annoyed by what she had to put up with, I think the feeling of accomplishment of getting the job would have maybe been the thing to power her through. Whereas like now she doesn't need it in the same way. Like she has fulfillment in these other places, you know, she has this job that she cares about and uh, has, you know, friends who are respectful, you know, and not just friends, but like coworkers, you know, who are respectful. So, you know, suddenly the allure of getting the commercial is a lot less, I think, especially when it turns out to be a totally disappointing, you know, experience. Um, You know, I think she's certainly found that she can expect a lot more from life than she maybe thought she had. Um, and that means that she's not as willing to put up with the nonsense, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and her having to kind of reevaluate where, where she belongs. Like, since, the, since Angel started, we've had Cordy on this mission to, you know, be an actress and, you know, make it in the LA, you know, celebrity high society. And okay, now maybe those doors are opening, but does she want that anymore? And, you know. Yeah. And, and honestly, I mean, we haven't heard much about that aspect of her in a while. Yeah. Life in a while. So, you know, kind of the last time we heard about it that I can remember, I, I mean, I might be forgetting a reference, but, sort of the more memorable references in recent episodes was um, uh, in Blood Money where you get the tape being switched and so oh, right. in her, front of like all of, right. all her of the rehearsal tapes, yeah. Uh, her, yeah her auditions her rehearsal or whatever. Tape, uh, you know, going up on the screen in front of all of the, you know, um, benefit people yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, at the fundraiser. Um, which is kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, I don't like other than that, like, I can't think of any time where we've heard sort of a serious conversation, maybe a passing reference here and there, yeah. but, um, yeah. Yep. And she's missing in the other dimension now that, let's not forget that. So <laughs> in terms of belonging now, she's like completely alone in a foreign alien dimension, um, yeah, so we'll see where that goes. Um, okay. Angel, I feel like we kind of already did talk about him. I mean, for Angel, I feel like the big um, the big scene is the one where Lauren is talking about his culture and Angel gets that wistful look. Like, that's really what gives you the sense of Angel's not just not fitting in in, like, L.A., but, like, not fitting in in, like, earth (laughs) like you know like like you have he would have to go to that demon dimension in order to totally belong like 
he's, you know, someone who's, and maybe that goes along with him being uh, very old and very curmudgeon as he is in this episode. Like, he's someone who's always going to be out of step with, you know, everybody else. Um, sure. And never yeah. really belonging I'm not, anywhere. I'm not cheap. I'm just yeah. old. Uh, although, so I agree, like, that's the main part. But I think there are sort of... Um, reflections uh of that in other parts of the episode um one of them being in the first in the very first scene uh, in the restaurant where he he's feeling very out of place being out in the open and sort of in a crowd and and when you think about it like we don't ever see them like out to dinner together or out you know they don't like go out as a group to go see a movie you know that kind of thing um, and on the one sense, you, you, it's kind of funny because you, ca- you can kind of get that like, like maybe if there's people at work that you don't see outside of work, like, and then like maybe sometime you go to happy hour or something with them. And it's like you seeing them out of context is, is a different thing, right? Like when it's not, when it's like a workmate rather than like a friend or yeah. whatever. And so we, I, I feel like we don't really see, I don't, I can't, you know, think of really any times where we see that like them just hanging out when there's not like work involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like on the one sense that's, you know, they're sort of out of place there, but he in particular feels out of place. Yeah. Like the others are like, okay, this we're just out to eat. Like it's not that big of a deal, but he like for him, there is that sense of like everything he does is part of the mission in a way. And so even just going out to eat, like he feels exposed and he feels out of place and and just being in the restaurant. And so, you know, that makes him jumpy and, you know, like thinking that like a shawl is some demonic shroud or something, you know, and, and all of that. Um, The other part that I would mention too, in sort of relation to his belonging is, is just, you know, again, reiteration of the fact that he's not, the leader of the team. And, and I think the, there's a few more subtle references to yeah. it. Um, but when you get like him making a plan and Cordy kind of like, yeah. not, you know, nodding to Wesley being as, you know, as the leader. Uh, and he's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. But what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, Oh, very subtle there. Yeah. Angel, yeah you, know. <laughs> um, you know, but then there's, there's another um, moment where, um, even sort of more subtly, he like hit you know him Wesley and Gunn. I maybe it's when they're going off to get the hack wire or something. I can't remember exactly when, but um, they sort of start walking. Oh, I remembered it. It's right after he's he's talking to them about the. It's right after that whole rant that he goes on about the Hollywood directors, and you know he mentions you know Cordy in a bikini, and they're all kind right. of like, they're oh yeah, that's terrible. For a moment. And, yeah. And, and 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 then they're like, okay, you know, he's like, okay, come on. And so you have Wesley and Gunn sort of, you know, walking away. And then Angel sort of subtly steps between and then in front of them mm. and sort of like is leading. So it's like, again, he sort of like takes that and, and nobody really notices it. And, you know, it's sort of the hero shot. Yeah. So like, like you can understand why they have him in the front sort of right but every this is the everybody's assumption is that this is yeah yeah, this this is this is him you know again sort of 
taking over that role of leader, even though he's technically not there. Um, and then sort of, as we already mentioned, when Wesley uh, takes too long, you know, he's trying to defer to Wesley, but it's uncomfortable. It's not, it doesn't feel like that's what he should be doing. It feels like he should be up and just going after the yeah. demon. And, you know, so eventually that's what he does. And so I feel like those are also sort of ways in which his, there's something not quite right. Um, you know, or as, or as Cordelia says, like, there's something mm. missing. Like, we're not, it's not quite the way it's supposed to be. And so he doesn't feel like he belongs yeah. in the role that, like, he's sort of taking on in that, you know, in those instances. Yeah, um, well, and there, there's another time after that, too, uh, after Wesley does, like, get up and join him and has, like, the flair and everything, Angel, like, directs him of, like, what to do, like... He says, like, go find right. the woman, get her out, I'll fight, I'll, you know, I'll find the draken. It's like, again, he slips yeah. right back into that role of being the one to formulate a plan and give orders and, um, sure, yeah. Sure. And, and so I guess sort of flipping on that, like, you know, because all of those are sort of slight, except for like the restaurant thing, which is just sort of general awkwardness, um, you know, those are sort of slights against Wesley. Mm -hmm. Which which highlights his yeah. own feelings. Right, of he's feeling not the belonging. same discomfort with the roles. Yeah, well, and and with Leslie, it's complicated too because the, there's the part of it which is like, how does he respond to Angel stepping on his toes in those moments and feeling sort of, you know, slightly pushed down because of that? But then also, his own like hesitation, like, you know, it's because he hesitates in those moments that angel has that opening to sort of you know force his way back in so it's not it's not really like two alpha males you know arguing over who's the leader it's sort of like we have a kind of leader in name who you know when he doesn't really step up and do the you know leadership thing angel then kind of jumps up and takes over um, yeah. you know, yeah, and yeah, and and Wesley seems kind of conflicted about that too. I think, um, you know, yeah. well, and there's so there's also the conversation on the phone with, with his dad, his right. father, right, uh, where he tries so hard to sort of convince his dad that he's he's made it right. He's the leader now, and uh you know he's trying to get his father to give him a compliment and be proud yeah. of him um and we can't hear the other side of the conversation yeah, you but get it's, an idea of you how know, it's going yeah yeah you get an idea you get you know you get the set like he brings up it, it seems like he brings up the fact that he was a watcher and that like he used to have a gainful employment and yeah. you know uh you know stuff like that so um yeah, the, you know, there's there's that sense too that even though he, you know, he feels like he should have good feelings about where he is, like he can't get anyone else to sort of recognize that, whether it's his father or Angel right. or whatever, right. like, and the, and that's sort of that's sort of Wesley from the beginning, you know, when we first saw Stuffy Wesley in Buffy, even like 
nobody really recognizes his authority, right? right? Like, that's the problem he's faced all along. Only now it's, you know, now that we've gotten to know him a bit and know that he's actually very well-intentioned and, and, you know, is competent when he sort of is put under pressure, Mm -hmm. that there's still, you know, there's still those moments of, like, he's, he's just not, He's not the leader mm. type. And, you know, he's sort of in that position now. But the question is, does he belong there? Right. You know, and that's right. kind of where he's at. Yeah. And you can see that that his desire to be the leader is not so much internally motivated as much as like, if not entirely for this, at least partly it's to maybe impress other people, you know, maybe chiefly his dad, you know, it seems like from his father, there's a lot of pressure to be, you know, important and successful and, you know, but then, you know, maybe, uh, you know, impressing all those people who don't, who do underestimate him, like, like the Scoobies or Angel or the other watchers or whatever, Um, you know, and so he's sort of, trying to make the best of something that isn't maybe a good fit, but, um, you know, at least trying to sound proud of the accomplishment and chipper about the whole thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. And like, I, I do like to the scene where Gunn, um, asks him about like the Heckler demon and he goes on like this really long lecture about everything <laughs> about it. And Gunn's like, I just wanted to know how to kill it. And like, and that's like Wesley in a nutshell, right? Is like, you know, if you asked Angel that question, he probably would start with, you know, here's how to deal with it. Um, Whereas Wesley, he's the one you go to for the kind of encyclopedic, you know, all the detail about what it is and its history and and all these, you know, physical characteristics and everything. Um, But he's not exactly straightforward with the like, giving direction to other people um yeah and when he does he goes with angel's plan anyway so it's like you know thank you for recognizing my authority let's do what he said um so yeah um so i guess finishing with gun um we have the you know story of his friends who kind of come to him not even really for his help anymore just for his car (laughs) you know which is like a new a new low for that relationship like it's not even like like we don't even really expect you to drop everything and come help us like we really just need you to lend us like you know the really tricked out car with all the weapons and all this um and he sort of wants them to wait for him so that he can help and join them. But, you know, Wesley kind of lets him know that he's expected to help, you know, to help Angel and and him first, which he does. And that, of course, means that he's too late because the friends go on without him and uh, and one of his guys gets killed. Um mm. So, yeah, you know, and then there's the, you know, the kind of poignant line about, you know, you should have waited for me. Well, we've been waiting for you for months. So, you know, kind of throwing that back in his face. Um, 
you know, with a, you know, if not entirely blaming him for the death, at least somewhat, there's like a guilt associated there of, you know, him not being with his gang means that they're more likely to get killed. Um, so yeah, his belonging of, you know, probably something is going to have to give like one or he's going to have to choose, you know, one gang or the other, I think, um, mm. you know, it's kind of hard to see how he can, you know, commit himself to himself to both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rondell is Rondell. Thank you. Who dies by, by the yes. way. Um, yeah. I, and it's not the first, because, well, you know, that was sort of the, the gist, because uh, these are the same characters we saw in the Thin Blue mm -hmm. Line, or the Thin Deadline, sorry, uh, with, um, you know, at the shelter yeah. and stuff, and kind of who, uh, and who, are, and we get the reference, because that's when Wesley gets shot, yeah. and um, they're the ones out, you know, trying to film the cops being brutal and whatever. Right. Um, so, you know, but we got, we got sort of the same reference then that like, oh, hey, you called us for help. Like, we haven't seen you in a while. And so now this is, um, I, I won't say culmination, but, you know, certainly is a, a strong point of, uh, thinking back even to when we first sort of met Gunn and, um, you know, his relationship with Angel, it was Angel would call on him to help every now mm -hmm. and then, right? And then there was, like, the whole debate, well, should we pay him? Should we not? You know, will that offend him? And he's like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Sure, I'll yeah. get paid. And then, and then so now, not that it's become about the money or anything, because I don't think it has, but he's he's certainly switched loyalties mm -hmm. in a way. You know, like, it's it's no longer, like, we get the sense that, like, he doesn't even see his old friends anymore. Whereas yeah. when we first met him, he was like running the crew and he was, you know, like taking care of children and stuff like that. Like it, it was more than just like, it was a family yeah. Yeah. and, and now he's kind of abandoned them. And so, you know, you do get the sense that he has this sort of split loyalty. Um, and he kind of just has to make a decision because, mm -hmm. you know, Either either he goes back to his old crew and, and you know, can maybe maybe help protect them. I mean, it's not like, I mean, people still died when he was there. Like, it's not like right. his being there necessarily would have prevented this. But you do get that sense of him feeling like maybe, maybe he didn't make the right choice. And so he has to sort of come to grips with, you know, whether, whether his continuing to work with angel investigations is you know the right choice for him or should he go back to what he like what you know which is more important you know is 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 the work he's doing with angel you know more important you know in one sense because maybe it's you know ultimately coming from the higher powers and he's working you know through you know the stuff that cordy sees in her visions and that kind of stuff or is it more important to be part of that family that he was always part of before right. and you know, is he able to sort of, you know, serve two masters or whatever? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, I, I mean, I feel like his is probably, um, 
I, I mean, it's different in a sense. Like you know, you know, you almost kind of get this C plot with mm-hmm. him and his friends. Like it's not even really near the main plot, but it's it definitely is. You know, a thing of you know him him sort of just like the others trying to figure out where he belongs in sort of the scheme of things. And so <clears throat> I think this goes back to even like we've we've talked more about it in context with the Scoobies, but I feel like this is a similar thing of like season four mm. of Buffy. And then even like in this season, we've talked about a little bit of like when they're not working together, mm. you know, they don't, work at their best ability that that it's coming together and so i i find this interesting because this is a set you know in a sense they are working together like they you know the problem isn't that they're together because they you know angels back and you know they're a team and and they're even you know kind of like getting uh, along (laughs) yeah getting along and stuff so i mean you know they're out to dinner and you know sport but they're they're not you know they're not as well oiled Mm. and you know, is it is it because, you know, Wesley's the leader instead of Angel? Or is it because, you know, Cordy's sort of trying to pursue a second gig and, you know, Gunn is sort of trying to, you know, have his cake and eat it too with respect to, like, the different people and groups in his life and that kind yeah. of thing. and. You know, so so you do get the sense that you you know it's not just the physical closeness that's important, but that there's yeah. there's definitely you know thoughts and positions and attitudes that are sort of affecting how they're working together. And and you know, I say affecting how they're working together because it's not like I mean they do kill the demon and they do um, you know send Landoc back. And of I mean you know okay, Cordy gets sucked back you know, through this portal right. too. But there is this sense that it's it's just not optimal. Right. Like, like you said, like something... Courtney said, there's something missing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I you know, not to belabor the point, but I feel like that's that's where the the title of this episode, mm-hmm. you know, is really pointing to, you know, belonging. Each each one of them is sort of trying to figure out where he or she belongs in sort of the 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 grand scheme of things if right, you will right. or or even the the small scheme of things yeah. um you know within their own organization yeah. yeah like it's not just like you said it's not just them you know it's not just the lack of fighting or them being you know in the same physical space but proper alignment of their abilities you know and you know, and, and commitment of each of them to the group. Um, you know, they all have to sort of probably be on the same page with each other, which I don't think they are. Um, so yeah, good stuff. So we have to wait a couple weeks, but we'll do Buffy first. Yep. Yep. Back to Buffy next week. Yeah. And uh, so I think I may have mentioned this before, but in case I didn't, um, I will mention that this next episode, uh, Spiral, is um, the last episode that I discuss in my Cabin in the Woods paper. Right, 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 right. So we'll, we'll have a, a you know, discussion about that. And hey, maybe we can even link 
to the paper. Yeah, right. In, yeah. In case, in case anyone's actually been waiting this long to read it, which I'm sure nobody it's has. It's your but, paper, uh, so we can absolutely but, you know, link we to might it. As, might as well yeah. link to it. Um, awesome. And 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 would would like to hear thoughts about uh, you know the the various uh, stuff in this episode, whether it qualifies as a cabin scenario yeah. or not. Um, in, in your yeah opinion. yeah I can finally finish reading the paper after like three years <laughs> <laughs> might have been a little unnecessary to wait that long but you know whatever well, hey I I don't know what's gonna happen in the next Buffy episode so if that was the intention then well job done you you, you know there's a cabin scenario <laughs> that's true least. that's true <laughs> uh, but yeah uh, well, we'll we'll leave it at that, and uh, be back to discuss that next week, along with an introduction to BS2, yeah. Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Where we'll uh, yeah. So we're not going to start quite with an episode first. We're going to do like the same intro that we did with uh, Doctor Who and Buffy and Angel, where we kind of talk for a little bit. I hope kind of, I think my plan is that we'll maybe talk about like some overview, like history of the show of like things that are relevant to go over from a production point of view. Um, but also maybe each give our little testimonial of like, what's your history with the show? Like, when did you watch it? What's your kind of, what angle yeah. are you coming from? Um, sure. So, and I don't know, maybe we'll pick up a few new listeners People are happy to, you know, if they want to tell us if they've seen it or not in the comments, you know, that would be cool. We could get a, maybe a discussion going or something. So, um, and then after that, we'll start on the actual episodes. Indeed. All right. All right. See you then. Mm -hmm.